First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Uh, June 1st. Uh, this is the PFF forecast. Um, we are going to talk football. Uh, we are going to talk about the AFC South uh, today. Do a little preview for the 2020 season. Um, while at the same time looking back, uh, kind of at what the season was last year. Should be a lot of fun because this this division has got a lot of interesting components, a lot of good storylines. At the end of the podcast, we're going to do a little reflection. We'll talking about what has happened, but. Um, we know that you guys are, are often coming here uh, for a little bit of getting away from what's going on outside. And for me, literally outside, because uh, I'm on 16th Street in D.C., which is about and about six blocks out from the White House. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy out here. I saw a car literally crashed into a bank uh, on my run this morning. Um, but we'll get yeah. to that at the end. Uh, and we'll talk some football right now. And, um, Eric, I understand that there was no football this weekend, but you're at home, you're alone, and you may or may not have bet on some sports that were true or false. It's true. Um, I, I did a little bit of dabbling into MMA, a little bit of NASCAR. <laughs> uh, yeah, you did. I, I, I the, the the pit of misery though so like the the interesting thing is obviously you know like when when sports are on I, I have like a, a subscription to like everything you know slaying hulu so i can like watch every game but now i kind of have taken them away so i'm i'm to the point of like betting on nascar but not actually wanting to watch it yeah that's tough and so like i'm like every like you know hour or so i'm looking at the the leaderboard yeah, you know, and usually they're just head-to-heads and stuff, so it's not that big of a deal. But yeah, it was it was okay. It did well. you did you build a model or anything, or did you go somewhere to look at like any sort of? I, I yeah, model? I just follow Twitter, and then there's there's like a couple ways, like and maybe this is like instructive to football betters too. But like, you know, if everybody likes a certain guy to win the whole thing, you know, maybe maybe that's less of a value than betting him head-to-head, you know, against other you know, other players and things like that. I, you know, that's mostly what I'll try to do is if a lot of people like a, like a driver to win, I won't bet them to win. I'll bet them to beat like three or four, you know, uh, other drivers. And that generally seems to work or if somebody's fading a a particular driver, like, you know, all that kind of stuff. That it's kind of the way I I try to go about it. Uh, You know, it's funny. The interesting thing that you said there was, I think a lot of people assume that if you bet on something, you're 
you know, you're more inclined to watch it. And I believe that to be true, certainly. But there's a threshold very clearly. And you have found that threshold. And it's the same for me. I could, the funny thing is, I don't know if I could bet on it without watching it. Like I would feel so guilty having money on the line and not watching this stupid thing. Like it would defeat the total, the the whole purpose for me. Um, Yeah, I I actually don't have an issue with that. I mean, like, I mean, college football, for example, I think the majority of the time, uh, I don't necessarily, I don't always bet on the big games. I generally speaking will bet on like the, you know, UAB and maybe I'll watch the fourth quarter or something on ESPN plus, but I'm, you know, I think I'm, I maybe not the opposite. Like I certainly like to watch the games that I bet on, but I, uh, you know, I, I don't, it's not a prerequisite, it, especially like a sport. Like I actually really like the WNBA, but I don't watch every game, even though I probably bet on a significant fraction of them. Please don't bring up the WNBA. I'm still, still getting over the aces, not, not coming through for us <laughs> in the mystics uh, when they won the, when they won the championship. Okay. Um, we're going to get to uh, the AFC South. I have to give a special shout out though. I did this last week, but um, my little sister Gabrielle is having another surgery today. She's watching and uh, it's in a couple hours. So uh, just giving her a shout out and going to be strong. Very excited for you. Hopefully it's the last one that she'll need for a while. So I'm excited about that. Um, And she is really pumped about the AFC South. I have no idea um, which team she's going to root for this year. And I'm not sure I do either. And that's, I think, one of the interesting things about this division is there are three teams at the top where they all have something really interesting and intriguing about them. With Tennessee, it's actually the result of our simulations that has made them the most intriguing to me. Indianapolis, of course, has Philip Rivers coming in. It's this kind of whole new world for the Colts. And then Houston has the best player in the entire division and also lost maybe the second best player in the whole division this past year. So it's, it's very interesting. Let's start with this though. What was the most surprising thing to you that happened last year? Uh, In this division. I mean, I think it was the fact that, you know, the Titans actually did make a switch at quarterback. Uh, You know, Mariota was, I mean, I don't know if you remember that Thursday night football game, we might've had a bet on Tennessee, like minus, you know, two and a half or something like that. (laughs) And they were playing Jacksonville and, you know, the quintessential Thursday nighter by comparison, you know, Mariota make Gardner Minshew look like Joe Montana. And, you know, and uh, you know, they, they had, they had a bunch of like just absolute stinkers. I, the Titans have been a team that has like profoundly frustrated me uh, from the moment, I think what, three years ago, where we had, the over in the Tennessee Kansas city game and Tennessee comes back from like 21, three down, but then doesn't cover the over by like a yeah. point because they missed the two point conversion. And then they, you know, they, 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 a season ago, the like they got, on a so hot streak. they got on a hot streak and then they go and face Carolina who has Kyle Allen at quarterback and they get, they, they don't even cover the spread and then they get on a hot streak again and then they lose at home to Houston, <laughs> you know, and then, it was just a really weird season. Ultimately, um, Tannehill played extremely well. And it's one of those situations where, you know, I'm going to write about it this week, but it pays to have a backup quarterback that has, you know, some some experience because, you know, the rest of that team was primed to be pretty good, especially with the schedule uh, that wasn't particularly good for the Titans. The Titans were were obviously surprised for, for many reasons. Uh, um, 
I kind of struggled here to pick one because on one hand, I was surprised by the Houston Texans seemingly being the same team they've been for the past like three seasons with Deshaun Watson. But I guess I really shouldn't have been surprised by that. And so my biggest surprise is actually A.J. Brown, who was awesome and I think is one of the players that when you talk about the Titans, people want to talk about Ryan Tannehill and they want to talk about Derrick Henry and maybe not in that order. But A.J. Brown to me is one of the main reasons we're talking about the Titans. And they have not had – they have tried to find dynamic receiving threats for what seems like ever, right? And that was theoretically the problem for Marcus Mariota. He didn't have that dynamism out wide or in the slot. And A.J. Brown, once Tannehill kind of took over, found himself with a quarterback that could get get him the ball and was just unstoppable. I mean, um, I think he had 20 missed tackles forced after the catch, which was tied for the league lead with Debo Samuel, another rookie. I think he averaged over nine yards uh, after the catch per reception, something crazy like that. It led the league. It was insane. He's nuts. And one of the reasons I loved A.J. Brown is interesting. I remember going back to pre-draft, and everyone loved D.K. Metcalf. And I was looking at a bunch of different things, you know, because they obviously played uh, on the same team. And A.J. Brown was just way more productive and graded better in all these situations and all these different routes that are more common in the NFL. And I I remember sitting in the office saying, I really think A.J. Brown's going to be better than D.K. Metcalf. Now, I'm not certainly not right yet. Uh, D.K. Metcalf actually had a pretty decent season. But it goes to show you that, you know, being productive in college does matter. And so I'm excited for A.J. Brown. He surprised me last year, but I'm just really excited about this year because now you have three – this division has been so bereft of offense, it seems like. And now they have three offenses that could be really exciting. And that's cool. That makes Thursday nights more fun. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, you, you look at this division and you have, you know, Brown had, you know, under 100 targets, but turned that into 1,000 yards. You have Corey Davis, who I know he didn't get picked up, you know, stick to your option, but he's a top, a former top pick, uh, you know, on the Colts. You, you have Michael Pittman. Uh, you have Paris Campbell. You have T.Y. Hilton. Houston, you have kind of a bunch of receivers who are like each other. And then don't forget about Jacksonville. Gardner Minshew was most valuable rookie a season ago dj chark is a pretty good player uh and then they get tyler eifert along with jay gruden who has been a guy who has made players like tyler eifert fairly good uh in places like washington um you know so when i look at when i look at the division i think it's extremely interesting because i think the fulcrum is the colts right Mm -hmm. because you know they're currently well they're the favorite yeah they're plus 125 right now their win total is nine. They're plus 125 to win the division. Um, we have them more about 8.2, but you kind of look at, okay, why would we be lower on Indianapolis than everybody else? Well, there's a lot of stuff that in Philip Rivers' data that could suggest a bounce-back season, right? Playing in a dome. He's playing with some, you know, a good offensive line. Uh, he's, you know, the division's relatively weak, although I'll push back on that finally. Yep. Um, and yet – he's aging and he's changing teams and changing schemes. And he's uh, you know, there's not, you know, they're, they're talented at wide receiver with the Colts, but as we're going to talk about down in a little bit, like a lot of their wide receivers were not valuable last year and they, they dumped a lot of expected points and things like that with those players. So when I, when I look at this, I think, 
I think Indianapolis is one of the more overvalued teams on the market right now. And as such, you look at the rest of the division, Titans are undervalued at eight and a half and plus 175. I think Houston, seven and a half of being their win total and plus 300 to win the division. Like, yeah, they did lose Hopkins and Hopkins is a big deal. But do you really want to bet against Deshaun Watson for an entire season? Like we've made that mistake before and it doesn't end very well. So and, and then Jacksonville, I think four and a half is an embarrassment for a win total. And when you look at like the incentives, you look at the incentives for that team, uh, you know, uh, Marone is Marone's not a tank guy, right? Like he's not going to want, it's not, it's not Brian, it, it's not Flores, right? In, in fact, that Dolphins team got over four and a half. It, it's not a tank situation for guys like Minshew. It's not a tank situation for guys like Jay Gruden. It's not a tank situation for, as I said, Doug Marone. So I think this is a division where like, okay, if you believe us on the Colts, you have to sort of elevate every other team as far as the markets are concerned. Okay. You said a lot of things in there that I agree with and some that are, that I've been wrestling with here as well. So let's start with the the prohibitive favorites. And this is what I think is most interesting about this division. So the Colts are plus 125, the Titans plus 175. it, after our simulations, the, the Titans are the team that we would have as the prohibitive favorite winning the division over 40% of the time, the Colts at over 25% of the time, but a, a clear flip-flop, right? It's not like, oh, you know, we would have, you know, a, a couple of percentage points different from the market. This is a significant, you know, difference between what we believe and what the market believes. And I'm trying to kind of figure out the reasons why. And I look at Ryan Tannehill and there are some things with his game, particularly how well he played under pressure, how well they leveraged play action last year where you go, okay, these should regress back to the mean a little bit. But you're also hoping with the Colts that Phillip Rivers regresses back up to the mean a pretty significant amount. And I'm not saying that he can't, but I think that's really what it comes down to. It, do you believe more in a Philip Rivers regression up or a, a, and a Ryan Tannehill regression down? Or do you think that Tannehill can sustain a little bit of that, that magic? He's still a good player from a clean pocket. The sacks regress maybe a little bit back to the mean. And Philip Rivers, who's getting older, is in a new place. Maybe Frank Reich and his ability to take Andrew Luck and say, hey, Andrew Luck, we're going to change the way we play football so you can succeed. That works for Andrew Luck, but it doesn't work for Phillip Rivers. I think it's really interesting trying to tease those two teams apart. Like, how confident are you, I guess, that the Titans are a better team than the Colts? If at all. I mean, when I – I'm not because I think when you look at what's going to happen this season, I think continuity is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Titans – I mean, one of – Tannehill gets a lot of credit, and I think he should because – you know, Arthur Smith was there at the beginning of the season, but Arthur Smith returns, you know, and he was a guy who did tremendous things for that offense once he got Tannehill in the place. That maintains itself. You know, they do lose, uh, you know, Jack Conklin, right? So then they, they have to go with Isaiah Wilson in his stead, and that might not be the best, uh, you know, thing for them moving forward. Um, but they, you know, they, they have a lot of weapons, right? They, their tight ends are young and athletic. Uh, we talk about the wide receivers. Obviously, Derrick Henry's a guy who, you know, as much as a running back can be a difference maker, he was a, you know, 
whatever last season. Yeah, yeah. And, once Tanhill took over, he was fantastic. And you look at their defense, like their de- they they got some players. You know, that Christian uh, Christian Fulton's a player that I really like. Adoree Jackson was one of their top four most valuable players. Uh, Kevin Byard is pretty good. Um, you know, they got Jonathan Joseph, who has like been a, a a medical marvel really over the past you know few years, and I, I like it. You know, and, and they they there there's a lot of continuity there with the Colts. There's just a lot of projection. Okay, like their most most valuable player last season was a guard. Okay, mm-hmm. you know you, you have to you have to assume that Rivers is going to be better than Brissett, but how much better? And you know they are you know they've always been elevated by coaching. There is is that really you know, Frank Reich has, has Frank Reich used up the, the years of being like this plus coach, right? Whereas like, if he doesn't innovate, he's going to end up being like McVay or, or and Shannon wow. is still a, still a positive guy. You know what I mean? Like have, have he, has he used that up or is he going to continue to be an innovator? We've seen with guys like Doug Peterson, you know, the first couple of years is a, is a success. And then after that, it's sort of baked into the cake, right? And, and so is he, is he baked into the cake now? I don't know. And at wide receiver, like, you need a bunch of – I mean, you need T.Y. Hilton to, cons- to continue to be good, right? And, well, and if he's he been an in- a- and he's yeah. had some injuries, right? That, that's yeah. – you mentioned the projection thing with the Colts, and I, I'm trying to pick some of these players that I think are kind of crux players. And obviously, Phillip Rivers is one. It's not, it's not hard to pick the quarterback. But looking at players that are non-quarterbacks who have a, a really important position, I think Michael Pittman has as interesting – and as important a role of any player, non-quarterback player on any of these teams. Because he's a guy who he only dropped five passes and over 170 targets at USC. He's a really great route runner. He's separated at all levels of the field. He's a big guy, but separated at the intermediate level. And when I think about what Phillip Rivers, so last year, 74 Point three PFF grade was just 17th overall the year before basically 91 was the fourth best grade among all quarterbacks in 2018. Now, yeah, he had a, a little bit better of a time from an offensive line, but he had receivers that were really great. And so to me, as important as it is that the Colts have an offensive line and Frank Reich, you know, he, he dropped Andrew Luck's time to throw from like two, eight to two, five, you know, and that fits right in with Phillip rivers wheelhouse. If they don't have receivers that can get open, the same frustration that you saw with Philip Rivers last year, I think is going to happen again. And, um, and that's why Michael Pittman is so interesting to me. The other thing about these two teams is I look at their drafts and I know we warned people last, last week, like don't get too caught up in the whole draft thing. Both these teams made some really interesting decisions in the draft and also drafted guys that we thought were fantastic values like Christian Fulton, you know, in the second round for the Titans, on the heels of Isaiah Wilson, who were like, maybe that guy's a guard, and they picked him in the first round. Right. The Colts go get Pittman. Obviously, they traded their first-round pick. They go get Pittman. We're like, oh, that's great. And then Jonathan Taylor in yeah. the second round, and, and there that video surfaced of them debating, were they going to take Pittman or Taylor? So, like, there's all these really interesting things. I keep coming back to, man, not only do I think these teams are close, but do we really believe there's a – there's a cluster of those two and then the Texans because as much as I love DeAndre Hopkins and I think that was one of the most disastrous trades on the planet like I still think Bill O'Brien the coach is is a decent coach and Deshaun Watson is an amazing player and they still have the potential when healthy 
to have a pretty good wide receiving core. So this is a fascinating uh, division for all of those reasons. Right. And, and, you know, I, I, I was thinking about this the other day and I, and I wonder where I come down on it because defensively they were an abject failure a season ago. Um, you know, when you look at like their least valuable player, like Lonnie Johnson was like minus half a win above replacement. Yep. You, know, you had, you had Philip Gaines, the former Kansas city chief. You had, uh, you had Aaron Colvin who didn't even make it through the season. Like they, they got to do some things to get better there. You know, they lose Jonathan Joseph. They do get Eric Murray and Jalen Watkins, who are, you know, Michael Thomas, actually. So a bunch of safeties in the mix. Um, but they have to be better, right? You, they're going to need, uh, you know, Vernon Hargreaves to play well. They're going to need Bradley Roby to play well. Uh, and But at the same time, they were able to win double-digit games a season ago and a playoff game without having a good defense. Like, even if it's sort of a Kansas City sort of, like, uh, argument where if they go from being, like, a – 30th in the league to 15th just by regression and you know strength of schedule alone then because they had one of the hardest schedules a season ago so they, if they go just back to the middle of the pack in terms of uh you know defense then I think seven and a half is good value if you're looking to bet on a player that a lot of us like uh you know he's imperfect and you know Deshaun Watson but he really is you know a player that allows uh those around him to rise above circumstances I, yes. And that is, that is, I think one of the, one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite bets here, you know, in thinking about the division, the division title, I'm a little less, you know, I think three to one, you know, plus 300 for, for the Texans is nice. When I look at seven and a half wins and I just think about Deshaun Watson and you imagine, okay, what happens for you to go under that? It's like, okay, he doesn't make it to 500. And I have just this, I have, <laughs> there's like this giant wall that I can't see at Deshaun Watson is one is on one side and below 500 records are on the other side. And I don't see Deshaun Watson ever like jumping over it. Yeah. Like I just, he's got that will to him where you're like, man, I just feel like he's going to make it happen. And I really, here's an interesting thing that I have been thinking about with the Texans. And I want to know what you think here. So, DeAndre Hopkins is amazing. And I keep coming back to what Kyle Shanahan said when he left Atlanta. And they said, hey, are you looking to bring in a guy like a Julio Jones, like a receiver like that for the, for the Niners? And he goes, you know, I, I really don't believe that to win in this league, you need one of those studs. It's, it's more about having guys that can fit what you want to do, you know, having depth there, being able to put guys in different positions and win. And I'm not saying – I hate it when people are like, yeah, addition by subtraction, like he gets better. But I'm wondering if the subtraction isn't nearly as big because now Deshaun Watson realizes, hey, I need to get rid of the ball more quickly. Like I can't just like wait, 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 take on all these sacks, can, you know, allow pressure to get in, in my face. I need to win quickly because I don't have a guy like a DeAndre Hopkins there who's always you know, going to bail me out. I can't wait to get into third and five because I don't have DeAndre Hopkins who I know is going to win every single time with the line of scrimmage. So I could see this, this situation where De- Deshaun Watson's really takes the team, puts it on his back. I, I think he's a dark horse MVP candidate. And I think seven and a half wins just to me feels like something Deshaun Watson is not going to creep into because he's got that ability to change the way he plays. 
I don't agree that it's an addition by subtraction. I do agree that. Well, good. Because <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. I, I really wanted to be clear. I don't feel that way. I just think that it's not always a, hey, we took the second most valuable non, uh, sorry, we took the most valuable non-quarterback out of your team. And that's going to take you from division winner to garbage. Yeah. I don't think it's worth two and a half wins. And, and my, my, the, the hard part with me, with Watt, the Watt, uh, the um, Deandre Hopkins thing is he had been the only quarterback for whom he wasn't successful was Brock Osweiler. I mean, he was successful with Brian Hoyer. He was successful with my, Ryan Fitzpatrick. He was successful with Matt Schaub. I believe that was that one year with Schaub and then obviously Watkin, uh, you know, Watson. And so when I, when I look at, at this, I, Last season, he was already lower in, in terms of depth of target. On passes to, to Hopkins, they were quicker. Like, I thought Hopkins was, like, doing his part in terms of being part of the solution. Mm-hmm. So I, I cringe a little bit when I hear, you know, maybe they got rid of him because, you know, they want to get rid of the ball quicker. And, you know, Hopkins is sort of more of that big body, like, you know, backyard football guy. Because I do think he was part of the solution last year. But at the same time, like, far be it from me. I mean, when you look at the receiving core, you can do a lot worse than Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, uh, Randall Cobb, uh, and, and Kenny Stills. Yeah, and I'm, I'm... – You know, you, you can't. I mean, and, and, and David Johnson. We don't like to talk about running backs, but David Johnson, if healthy, uh, along with Duke Johnson, I think are some players that, um, you know, can make catches out of the backfield and, and be players that, you know, in that sort of backyard-type football that he likes to play can, can get those yards. I always, I'm a growth mindset guy. So I always like to believe, you know, people are really quick to think accuracy is like the growth, you know, Hey, I believe he can get better as an accurate football thrower. It's like, okay, like let's relax there for a second. But you know, Andrew Luck's a great example, right? He's a guy who in the right structure took the time he held onto the ball from like top five in terms of longest to uh, average time to throw to one of the quickest. To me, that is something that, you know, certain players, if they get it in their head, can like figure those things out a little bit. And that would be a huge win for Deshaun Watson, who has basically had a sack rate, I think over 8% in every single one of his seasons. But you mentioned this thing about DeAndre Hopkins, and this is hilarious. I tweeted this back in May 13th. May 13th feels like it was six years ago. Yeah, it's the same. DeAndre Hopkins has. 1,065 targets, 658 of them. That's well over half for you guys that forgot your TI-89 at home um, are from quarterbacks who are not starting caliber QBs, like just period point blank are not quarterbacks to be starting in the NFL. He finally had a good quarterback, but it's only been for the past couple of seasons. The guy is like a legit top five wide receiver and has not had a QB in the top 32 <laughs> aside from Deshaun Watson. So I know he's not in this division anymore. Like he's cert- he is certainly a loss and he can be a huge loss while at the same time, Deshaun Watson can have to look in the mirror and say to himself, I'm just going to have to do some things a little bit more efficiently to make up for it that maybe he wouldn't have otherwise. And so that's why, you know, I'm bullish here. You look at, at Deshaun Watson, 81 PFF grade last year was ninth. 83 the year before was 12th. His rookie season was really up and down. 
Um, and really he only had like two really bad games last year, maybe three, I guess. Um, but he's just a guy. When I look at those other two guys in Tannehill and, and Rivers, and you think about like, okay, in their worst game, how bad are they? I, I know that Desh- Deshaun Watson's game against the Ravens was, was unfortunate and was bad. But like Deshaun Watson to me feels like the guy with the highest floor. Of those, of the, yes, I, of those I agree. Three. I think in his worst games, he's – so, like, the, the hard part is we always compare him to Mahomes and Trubisky. And right. it's sort of like he's head and shoulders <laughs> What's above bad Trubisky. about being compared to Trubisky? I'm trying to get that comparison. He, I always get compared to guys like you. I want he, Trubisky in my comp. <laughs> he's, he's a – you know, he's a um, – you know, he's nowhere near as good as Mahomes. But he's like, you know, nowhere near as bad as Trubisky. And so we think of him as like smack dab in the middle, when in reality, no, he's far closer to Mahomes than he is to guys like Trubisky. And sure. he does have bad games, but 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 Mahomes is such a revelation in that he doesn't have bad games that we sort of I think uh you know knock Watson down a peg when maybe we shouldn't. We have Houston going over their seven and a half win total about sixty percent of the time. I think it's. I think the over though is is a little juiced. Is it minus one twenty now? Yeah, I mean it's still a it's still a positive EV bet yeah. if you believe. It's still a numbers. bet that I am slash have made. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I let, let's talk. How how, how comp because so if you're in this if you're in this world right and you say okay um, I'm going to I'm going to be all over the. Texans and the Titans in this division. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, like the play. But then, like, if the Colts go thirteen and three, right? And like, you know, that's where the issue yeah. really is, right? Um, but that's kind of what we would advise, I guess. Yeah, I, I was going to ask. I mean, I was going to say, are you basically is your theme for betting this division literally fade the Colts? Because we've talked about the Titans. You know, we our simulations really like the Titans. We would have them as the favorite. Vegas has them as the second favorite. We just talked about the Texans. And the Jaguars, look, four and a half wins is a really, really low total for a team with, like, a legit starting quarterback, a couple of options at receiver. Um, they, they drafted in a way that, look, it could really not be great. But if one – they drafted guys in their first three picks in Henderson and Schnault. And honestly, in Chase on and Barch too, who, yeah, they're not, they're all really high variance guys, but one of those guys being good makes a legit difference for this team. Um, you talked about DJ Chart. Gardner Minshew is a guy who was really accurate last year. And I know the shine wore off at the end, but like, dude was one of the most accurate throws of the football downfield over one win above replacement, not, like not too far off from a lot of very good quarterbacks and some of the ones in this division. So are you legitimately saying, yeah, my whole theme for this is just fade the Colts? I think that's the logically consistent one. It sounds you know, like what you're saying. Interestingly, this is why betting numbers early is a good thing because I, you know, I'm sort of looking at my sheet right now or like things I've liked, I've liked or written about. Your, your Houston, sheet, what is that? Is that like a Houston, note? Is that a greasy notepad? Is that a napkin? It's, I, it's, where, I write my, it's where I write my trends. Um, no, the Houston <laughs> under eight and a half was available like middle of March, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes you can get a gauge. on this. So like there's a situation where they go eight and eight, you get a middle there. Um, it's not as, you know, obviously, you know, these things aren't uh, fixed in time or whatever. But 
uh, it's important to sort of think about, you know, by the time we get to the end of the season or even, you know, right now they're probably beaten to death anyway. But it, it's important to think about these from a time-bearing perspective. And, you know, if you sort of believed that Rivers was going to be signed by the, by the Colts, it was a good number to get. So here's my question with the Jaguars. I kind of wrote down a question for all of these teams. And the one for the Jaguars is, is Gardner Minshew going to be good enough to get the tank out of Jacksonville? Because it seems like everything aside from Gardner Minshew and DJ Chark are, and that includes the coaching staff, are just like it doesn't matter. Like you're not going to be a part of this team when, we're start, when we win. Right. And that can go south so, 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 so quickly. And I just wonder how much is everything in Jacksonville and everyone surrounded with that team that knows they're going to be there long-term sort of hoping this happens. Because if you think about winning a Super Bowl in five years, you're probably envisioning Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields and not Gardner Minshew as the person that is holding up the Lombardi trophy. Yeah. We, we talked about this, you know, when we were talking, when, when we looked at the draft, right. Mm-hmm. And the draft was one of those where it was like, you know, uh, Jacksonville took a lot of like long shots, like, you know, CJ Henderson is, is probably not as, as a big of a slam dunk as Derek Brown, but if he hits, he's going to be way more valuable than Derek Brown. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they, they did a lot of, you know, Chenault was another one in the, in the same, in the same vein. So I don't know. I, when I look, I mean, when I look at their schedule, I mean, take a look. So they're at home to the Colts in week one, right. Like we've seen, can we, I just tell you what's going to happen in those games and we can see what their record ends up being. <laughs> but, but with their home to the Colts in week one, and we've seen a ton of times where team, you know, where week one is just a bunch of surprises, especially when you have a road favorite, like the Colts are going to be. Uh, and then they, they go, go to Tennessee home to dolphins at our Bengals. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, cause to me, okay, where does this, if you bet over here, where does it have no chance? Well, it has no chance that they start out 0-5 and, and they fire Doug Murrow, right? Like, you know, yeah. Yeah. so so when I look at I okay, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, if they win, like, let's say they start 2-2, two and two, they beat the Bengals, they beat the Dolphins, or some combination of that, you know, then they're, you know, they have a home game against Detroit, which could or, you know, may or may not be good. Um, you know, they have a home game against the Browns, they have a road game against the Vikings, who could be you know, relatively weak and they have a home game against the Bears. There's a bunch of winnable games on that schedule. It just, to me, it all, you're going to know right away whether or not they're going to, they're going to win five or six games, like right away, in my opinion. No, I think that's a good call. And the interesting thing about that first game against the Colts is the Colts are, to me, the Colts are not going to be stressing out. I don't see the Colts coming out. It's not, it's not in Frank Reich's nature to sort of be freaking out. Yeah. And they're not – they're also a team that – and this fits right in with kind of Phillip Rivers, and I just expect them to be a sl- kind of a slow-paced team. And, and, um, and maybe I'll be dead wrong there, but it seems to me like they are going to keep teams in games. So if you're looking ahead to week one, you're going like – what are, what are some underdogs? And you look at some home, some teams playing at home, you go, man, like Gardner Minshew is not that bad. DJ Chark's not that bad. Maybe they're, um, you know, they're playing in Jacksonville. Like, 
I would assume if there was a place that teams were still going to be able to play uh, <laughs> come September, it's going to be in Florida. It, it just know. reminds me, though, of last season when Tennessee played the Browns, you know, where and I, the Browns are even at home, but like the Browns were the hot team that everybody thought, you know, was a foregone right. Team, they were going to be. Was that five and a half? They were five, five and a half. Yeah. Tennessee was a, you know, a good side to be on. But even then, like it was just, there were so many things that needed to be acclimated for Cleveland that we all saw football as the sum, as a bunch of parts and Cleveland failed to be the sum of the parts. And like, I think it's insulting to put Frank Reich in the same sentence as Freddie Freddy Kitchens, Kitchens, obviously. But it, it's there's still there are a lot of characteristics there. You're breaking in a new quarterback. You're you know he's got to play with a new team and a new scheme. You got a defense that like, I mean the Colts defense just kind of makes it right. Like they don't. There's not a lot there there. And, right. and so, you know, like I, is, I don't is, see this big is Xavier Rhodes solving those problems. Well, no. That, Right, exactly. That's a that's a pretty like yeah. I think that's a fair question to ask: Is Xavier Rhodes solving those problems? And the answer probably is invariably no. Yeah, they got rid of Pierre Desir. Like they, right? You know, he was, was one corner. of their better corners. He was one of their better corners. I mean, there's there's a lot to be questioned questioning the Colts for. And for me, it's just you know, I'm there's no way I'm going under four and a half when when I look at when I look at the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, and I could very much go over. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe maybe the play is to bet on them in the first few games, um, or maybe it is to bet the over and bet against them in the first few games so you get kind of like a, a, a you know, a hedge there. But, um, you know, I, I don't hate them. Well, I would say that I would guess there will be a little, a little value on them in their first couple of games. Um, so, I don't know, maybe if you're, if you're – not one that wants to wait for the whole season. You can just bet on those first two games instead of taking their win total. Um, I was reminded, you just reminded me when you mentioned trends that Tennessee was a part of one of the greatest trends ever uttered into the ether by, uh, by Clay Travis. Clay Travis. Did, you see, did you see, did you see his co-host on lock it in get after him on Twitter? No, no. Okay. I, well, you'll have I, to watch that. I, I will uh, go seek it out. I try to avoid those sorts of things. Um, but it was, it was, I believe, in both of their playoff games, and including when they played the Chiefs. It was like they were like 6-0 against really good offenses, like offenses that averaged over yeah. you know, some monstrous yards per play. It was like, yeah, good luck with that one, buddy. Um, okay, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Are there any other uh, things that you're betting in this division uh, that we have not yet talked about. Um, like, are you putting a little? Well, are you I, giving I a little week, taste on the Titans to go to the Super Bowl? I, that I, that is a bet I have made, and one that we wrote up as a part of the win totals <laughs> piece. Well, they're just part. It's of, an emotional I mean, hedge, is what it is. It's not an emotional hedge. Yes, but it's it more is. Of a, it's it, they're, they're, <laughs> what were they sixty to one when I bet? Look, I sat. I sat next to you for three hours at a Super Bowl where you like didn't say anything. I know the emotion that courses through those Kansas city chiefs veins of yours. Uh, the, the hardest that, yeah, well, I mean, one day we'll write a book about that day. You know, just the, 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 the emotions, me flagging a cab. I was going to say how many chapters friend. are us just looking for a fucking Uber? 
Well, you were distraught. So both of us had like, you know, both of us went through all the phases of, of grief, right? Oh and then my I, God. I ended up getting one and I honestly stood like this for 10 straight minutes after I found out that they were going to win. Uh, you know, and then, yeah, then we're, we're trying to find a cab and you're irritated because your, your team blew a 10 point lead. And then I, and then I, our Uber blew us off. Our Uber blew us off. We were willing to pay an Uber like 150 bucks to get back to the hotel. But I, I, you, you have to admit my speed was impressive. Yeah, I'll, I'll just really quickly sum this up for the people that are like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? The line for Ubers outside of the Super Bowl was from Miami to Jacksonville, as you would expect. Our Uber that you got on your phone, because both of us are trying and you're the one that gets lucky, says, meet us here. And where he wants us to meet us is not where they will allow you to stand for an Uber. So we're like hopping fences and getting yelled at to, to try and like find where the Uber is. We're, we're still trying and the guy just ditches us. So now we have no chance of getting an Uber. We're nowhere near where the Ubers are. And our only hope is a cab. The cab line is supposedly down this way somewhere. And we just keep walking. We must have walked like four miles, not a cab in sight. We finally see a cab. My phone's out of battery. Your phone is... <laughs> barely Close. alive yeah and oh, I forgot that. you see what? we see one cab and you from like two lanes over only someone that just won the super bowl could have made this move ducks like dives and dodges a car squeezes between two other cars and gets in front of the cab and it's like wait <laughs> i slapped my hand on the side window i probably broke a finger oh man um, but i digress i i would I am with you in the in the sprinkling of a little bit on on the Tennessee Titans to go to the Super Bowl. It just you know, especially in a year where I think things are probably gonna get a little wacky, they are they are a value. We have been making it all the way to the Super Bowl um about ten or a little over ten percent of the time, which is mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean way, the AFC way is higher so top heavy. So exactly if, if you chop the two legs out from under the Ravens and the Chiefs, I think they're probably uh, a value that, and that's that's the thing. I mean, you can't just bet on the favorites. The favorites don't pay that much, and they they often go down, as we saw with Baltimore last year. All right. Um, so should anything? we should we should we go from talking about our fake plight at the Super Bowl to the plight, yes, the real plight of the world right now? Yeah. I well, so here's um, I, I want you know a lot of people are talking about it and. There, I always think it's useful to give a little bit of context if you have an interesting, um, you know, connection to things. And I wanted to ask you because we haven't had a chance to to really talk about this. You know, you were you are from Minnesota, um, and despite us talking about the Chiefs, you have many, many, many stories about the Vikings and going to games in Minnesota for just about every sports team. Um, and so, you know, coming from that lens. Um, you know, what are some of the ways that you've reacted and thought about what's happened? Well, it's, it's, it's hard because we've, the, these things are all about being heard, right? And, and I think most people's longing in life is to be listened to and to have their, um, the things that they're going through be recognized. Um, and we've, we've had, we've, we've seen this happen in the country. I mean, Freddie Gray, uh, you know, I believe in both, you know, we had, we had, um, you know, the issues in St. Louis, we had the issues in Baltimore, we even had the issues in Minneapolis uh, with Philando Castile, which is, again, very raw still, even though it was a couple of years ago. And so 
Ferguson. And Ferguson, right? When the when when the officer for for Philando Castile was not convicted, there was significant outcry in the African American community in Minneapolis and St. Paul. And when this happened last week, it was a oh here we go again, right? And I understand, and I fully empathize with people who do not want their stuff looted, uh, who do not want their businesses destroyed, and and so on and so forth. There, however, the you know the issue was is we've had, we've had you know peaceful protests in this country before, and they they fell on deaf ears, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think like everybody right now, whatever side you're on, just wants to be listened to, and I think that for us, people like us who are privileged to you know, have a platform and things like that. Like we, my biggest thing is I, I'm ready to listen to anybody. And mm-hmm. and if it comes down to, you know, and we're obviously gonna talk about where we're going to donate, but, you know, for me, it's, it's, you know, we, we understand the pain and we understand what, what people are going through. And, and even, and even with that, you know, our experiences are limited and we want to listen to people who are struggling. You hit the nail on the head. What makes this so sad is it's not new. And all of the things that are happening and the feelings that people have and the emotions that people are going through on, on literally every side of every aisle anywhere have happened before. And I'm sure in two weeks, maybe even less, a large majority of the people that are ranting and raving about things are, are going to have moved on. And that's what makes this so sad is it is continuing to happen. It continues to happen often. And it's going to, in, in my opinion, right? The reactions are just going to be more visceral as these things continue to happen and, and change isn't progressing in a way that, that people want. And, you know, it's very interesting. I, um, the, the pervasive feeling that I have had is honestly one of guilt and, um, we're both very lucky. You know, I've never felt, um, you know, like a, when I, when I got pulled over for speeding, I was going to, you know, be in, in, in danger of my life. And I actually, when I graduated college, I, I did teach for America. We've talked about this a bunch. And one of the reasons that I did was I was very lucky as a kid to have played basketball in an area called East Palo Alto, which was, you know, almost entirely black and Latino. I was the only white kid on this team. And I saw that they just don't have any of the opportunities for an education that I took for granted. And I'm not a teacher anymore. And I can't help but see these things happen and feel like, shit, I'm part of this, you know, I'm part of this problem, right? Like the reason these things keep happening, it's, it's not because the tweets that people are shooting out there at rapid fire aren't making a difference. Like, I hate to break it to you, but those fucking tweets are not helping anything. It's the systemic change, the hard work, the going and becoming a teacher, the going and working in these areas that that need help, the working with people that are trying to cross the aisle that ultimately changes things. And, uh, you know, that's what pisses me off, that the looting, it's it's weird. I feel like watching the looting is... Yeah, it's disturbing and it's people from like all over. It's a really weird thing. And, and we're kind of conflating it with a lot of the, the peaceful protests, which is unfortunate. But like the looting isn't, you know, it's not going to it's not going to help things change. But it's an it's an it's an expression of emotion yeah. that that people like just don't know what to do. And, and 
you know, that's what's sad. We've ignored. I mean, and, and I, I'll push back a little bit. I, you know, earlier today when you were expressing, you know, regret over the fact that, you know, in a few months that we're all going to forget that this has happened. Right. And, and, you know, I showed you the, the tweet that I had from 14 yeah. where I was sort of wrestling with, you know, the, the very real thing. And I was like, you know, back, back then, like, I had very different views and, and, you know, talking and, and you talk about being an educator and, you know, the, the, being a teacher was really an important part because you, you dealt with people who had many walks of life, who had assumption spaces that were so much different than yours and you had power over them. Mm-hmm. And, and there was that, that situation, I think fundamentally alters you. And it's why, you know, coaches have a responsibility. It's why, politicians have a responsibility. It's why anybody, you know, and, and why law enforcement has a, has a responsibility to have empathy, because if we don't, we're going to take, you know, everybody is, you know, everybody just takes their own assumptions into things. And again, it's a product of not listening. And, you know, we had years ago, what, however people felt about Kaepernick or whatever, I mean, they were, they were protesting in a way that made us uncomfortable but not as uncomfortable as it did. You know, we didn't do anything as a product of that uncomfortability. And now like, I think, you know, rioting and looting, it's an open question as to whether this will have any impact, but it's more likely to have an impact if we all have to share in the, in the common fear that people have people of color, when they interact with the police, that this might be the end. A lot of people are thinking, okay, this might be the end for me now as a product of this rioting and looting. Yeah, no, that, that's a fantastic point. And, and I don't think it can be underscored. And it's unfortunate that, you know, that some, these things are messy. Like, that's the other thing that you're not, you're never going to make it somewhere better without getting a little dirty. And, um, you know, I, it, it, it's unfortunate because it's at a time when so much that doesn't need to be political is political. This is, this isn't political, like at all. This is, human this is fundamental to what it is to be a human on this planet and everyone has to work towards these better goals it doesn't matter if you're a republican a democrat or whatever the hell you claim to be that that needs to be thrown out of the way and we are you know unfortunately like the way that we've made it in in life is to be like you have to be selfish in a certain way. And a lot of people continue to act selfishly. And until some of that gets beaten down and, and people start to dedicate themselves to real change, we're going to, we're going to struggle. I mean, it, I, again, it, it's tough. I, I, you know, really think that the greatest accomplishment, like if you asked me, what's the greatest accomplishment you've ever had in your life? I would go back to, you know, being a teacher and thinking about, you know, some of the kids who passed, did really well in AP calculus test, like that, that can help. What am I doing right now? And that's what I've really wrestled with is like, is, is donating, is that doing enough? Um, Because it feels super cheap. And I, like, I haven't, you know, gone on Twitter because it it just, those things where you say, Hey, like, I'm with you guys, here's this tweet, like, maybe you can frame it, and it'll inspire you to, like, be a better person someday, just doesn't get the job done. The hard part is that, as you said, everything is messy, you know, Um, and, you know, all the people groups we've been a part of, whether that be football analytics, which is predominantly white, or, you know, uh, our churches, which have contributed a fair amount to these issues, 
you know, all that kind of stuff. Like we all share responsibility in this and the people who are rioting and looting eventually, right. There's going to be a point where responsibility is shared by, by them too. Yeah. And the, and the part of the, like, we've, we've, we've taken history and we've so like bastardized it to the point where, you know, we, you know, people don't remember that Martin Luther King was hated like by 75% of Americans before he was killed, you know? And, you know, we all like to think of like, he walked up to people of power, spoke truth and everybody's like, Oh yeah, that's a great point. Let's change. That's not, that, that didn't happen. <laughs> not how this works. And, and, and that's the same thing here. Like you're, and that's, I think the hard part is that, you know, what, no matter what political party you're a part of, no matter what ideology you live by, you always, like we always demand perfection out of the people that we don't like yep. and accept imperfection out of the people we do like. And, and that's, you know, that's going to be a tough thing that we all have to overcome. Yeah. And it's, it shines a light on how in this day and age, it's really easy to feel like you've done something. And oftentimes I think we do things because it makes us feel better. And the things that are really going to help people, as you just underscored, are not going to make us feel great in the moment. But, you know, like that's, that's, I think a really, these conversations are tough. And I, so here are the things that I think that I, that I, I think I can do to help and, and maybe sharing this with, um, you know, the few people that are listening will, will help them as well. It, to me, having conversations with people, not on Twitter, but, you know, friends and people that might be on different sides of the issue, or maybe that aren't doing things to help or feel as though they don't need to can be really useful. Um, reaching out to people who are obviously in pain and, and, and have dealt with these issues. Um, you know, if it's a former student or colleague or something like that, mm-hmm. and then, and then donating to places that are going to put like things in action, right? Put your money where your mouth is. Um, I'll go ahead and read off the, the places that, that I've donated. Um, my girlfriend has been donating as well. The, the first is the, the Loveland Foundation. Um, they provide therapy for uh, black women and, and girls um, free of charge. Um, the Know Your Rights Foundation, uh, which is called Kaepernick's Foundation, which provides legal assistance um, uh, to those who need it. Uh, the Fair Fight Foundation, which fights for fair elections. Uh, to me, that is one of the places helping people vote is a, is a systematic change that you can help make. And then last but not least, uh, Teach for America, which obviously I'm a part of. No organization is perfect. I know they've caught flack in the past, but they put people who want to teach kids in situations that kids would normally never get that opportunity. And, um, you know, it was one that gave me a great chance. Yeah. And, you know, at being from the Twin Cities, you know, I, um, our friend, uh, Justice Mosqueda, you know, he, he started the thread of people donating the Minnesota Freedom Fund. That's one that I think is a great place and one that I'm donating to. Uh, and here's another one. And, I, and I, again, I don't want this to be, um, I don't want this to be overly political, but I'm going to donate to the COVID-19 response fund because, we're we're still in a global pandemic and i know that churches and i know that some things have opened up and a lot of us have enjoyed those i went to an outdoor only restaurant the other day and really enjoyed it but the fact is is that there might be a spike in covid-19 cases just due to you know the protests and the proximity that we're all you know and that's the hard part the, as you said this is all very messy and there you can <laughs> the protests had to happen in some people's minds and in my, and frankly, in my mind, 
but COVID-19 needs to be taken seriously in my mind as well. And so what, what we can do is, is try to help there. Um, but again, you know, uh, hopefully we approach this, you know, as well, you know, as the way that, you know, that, that would, you know, encourage all of you just to listen to other people and to try to be the change, obviously, and, and, and try to understand things from other people's perspective, because we only have one life. And that's, again, where our, 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 um, our perspectives are from, but they're obviously limited by the fact that we only live once. It's uh, it's well said, and it's it's not about uh, you or me or any individual. It's about all of us um, together. And so, thank you to all of you guys for hanging out with us and listening. We hope you guys enjoyed uh, the football content, and hopefully, you guys are doing um, your part to make this world uh, a little bit better each and every day. If there's anything we can do, obviously, reach out to us. We appreciate it. Um, We'll get back to kind of a little more normalcy in terms of a few more segments and a guest. Next week, we have Seren Petro, one of the greatest people in sports radio. Uh, he's, on, the, he's on Thursday this week. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's one of the greatest people I've ever met. He is uh, awesome. He's gonna, we're going to talk uh, AFC West. He is a Kansas City sports radio legend. And he's going to come join us. And that's going to be a lot of fun. So, um Come hang out with us on Thursday. Stay safe. Thanks for tuning in. Peace out.